and welcome to Credo on Radio Maria. Credo is a program that nourishes your Catholic faith. Today we have Friar Peter with us, and he is going to talk to us about St. Bonaventure. Hello, Friar Peter. Good afternoon, Niall, and good afternoon, listeners of Radio Maria. So tell us more about St. Bonaventure. Yes, well, this is the second part of a two-part talk. Last Friday, uh, Eddie hosted me for the beginning of a talk on St. Bonaventure's very famous book, The Itinerary Amentis in Deum, The Mind's Journey into God. It's, um, it's his roadmap for the mystical life. So let's get on with, with uh, part two of our talk. So, as, so the Itinerarium was written by St. Bonaventure. So just a brief recap on who he was. He was born in the year, around the year 1220. As a child, he was healed from an intestinal disease by St. Francis's intercession. For many years, he was a friar, a student, and a teacher at the University of Paris around the same time as St. Thomas Aquinas. And then he was elected as the Minister General of the Franciscan Order in 1257. The order was beset by many crises at that time. So he decided to make a journey a pilgrimage to the mountain of Laverna, where Francis had received the stigmata. And it was here he found the answers to the things that were troubling his heart. He wrote this book because he wanted to retrace the six steps which St. Francis followed to reach the supreme mystical experience which St. Francis himself had received uh, when he received the wounds of Christ crucified. So Bonaventure gave us this roadmap in order to follow all six steps that it took Francis to get there, sketched along the lines of the six wings of a seraph, which of course was the famous vision that St. Francis had. So on last week's show, we journeyed along three of those wings. And this week we will travel along the further three wings uh, into towards the end of the journey and into the darkness. Now, a brief recap, the six wings of the seraph. We are called to see God in created things as if through a mirror, for all things reflect God in different ways. Bonaventure warns us that we cannot see God clearly in the mirror of nature unless we have polished the mirror of our souls, that is, been purified by sin. And then once the scales are removed from our eyes, God can be seen in the mirror outside of ourselves, that is reflected in the things of the created world where his vestiges or footprints can be traced. God is reflected in the mirror within ourselves, that is in the soul, which is made in his image. Finally, God is reflected in the mirror above us, that is in his essential properties. So, the vision of the first two wings of the seraph is seeing God through his footprints in creation and in those footprints. The second pair of wings symbolize the image of God in the soul's natural powers and the image and likeness of God in a soul enlightened by grace. And the uppermost set of wings 
represents the contemplation of God, whose name is being and whose name is good. So, Niall, does that all sound very clear? It does. Very good. Well, let's begin. We covered last, uh, the first three wings on last week's show. Now let's look at the next three. Wonderful. So, what is the difference between a footprint and an image? A friend of mine who is a student of languages in Oxford, who recently read uh, St. Bonaventure's Itinerarium, and who is hopefully traveling along the itinerary now, suggested to me that it's like in linguistics, the difference between signs and icons. So a letter of the alphabet is a sign, whereas a no smoking logo is an icon. The letter P could never of itself convey the sound P, even if it were a hundred feet tall. And of course, if you spoke Russian or Greek, that letter you would imagine has been pronounced as R. A non-smoking sign, however, shows exactly the message it conveys regardless of language. So that's an icon. That's good, but that's not what Bonaventure means. Because everything in creation, God's footsteps, speak of God as the creator in his power, wisdom and goodness. Everything is an icon. God fills all creation to overflowing. Is there anything which does not contain God especially? Well, kind of, yes. Elsewhere, Bonaventure tells us that the only thing which does not contain God is a soul which deliberately excludes him by sin. And yet the sinful soul is no less an icon of God than are his footsteps, which are the creatures in the world around us. The soul with its natural faculties alone is not just a footprint, but an image of God. The human soul is different from the material creatures, the footprints, because like God, it can know itself and love itself so that it can find its true purpose in knowing and loving God. When the soul, through the illumination of Christ's grace, is elevated and raised up from the sorry condition of human nature to participate in God's life, we move from the third wing of the seraph to the fourth wing of the seraph, which is seeing God in the mind and soul reformed by grace. This is a big move and we cannot make it on our own. Oscar Wilde said of man in his natural state, we are all in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars. But he only got it half right. We are all in the gutter, but we are all laying face down. Some of us might be seeing stars, but they are reflected in a puddle. And if we mistake the reflection for the real thing, we risk drowning. So Bonaventure says, just as when one has fallen, he must lie where he is unless another is at hand to raise him up. So our soul could not be perfectly lifted up out of these things of sense to see itself and the eternal truth in itself had not truth taking the, fo the human form in Christ become a ladder, restoring the first ladder that had been broken in Adam. And when God fills the mind and heart with grace, a change happens. If I can use an image of my own, which is too advanced for Bonaventure's time, 
and slightly dated for today, the difference between the soul and its natural capacities and the soul reformed by grace is like the difference between a photographic negative and the developed image. But Bonaventure has images of his own to explain it beautifully. The soul in grace becomes like a well-ordered city at unity with itself, like a colony of the heavenly Jerusalem, of which the angels and saints are citizens. The soul in grace is almost like a city run by the nine choirs of angels, who operate things through the offices of announcing, dictating, guiding, ordering, strengthening, commanding, receiving, revealing, and anointing. I'm sure any good Christian realizes how much easier situations are to tackle and how uh, when you have God's grace in your soul than when you have a lapse in that grace. So we can see that our soul is corresponding to the wonderful order and hierarchy operated by the angels in heaven. The soul is also like a bride who has been healed by her bridegroom. She has recovered her full sense of sight, touch, hearing, smell and taste because she knows every sense experience is rooted in the experience of being who is her bridegroom Christ. A beautiful image our saint gives us in another book is that the memory, intellect and will in a mind reformed by grace become like the three wise men bearing gifts of gold in thanksgiving for present joys, frankincense in hope of joys promised in the future, and myrrh in sorrow for the sins of one's past. This particular wing of the seraph deserves a guidebook of its own, the journey of a soul in grace from its initial breakthrough into the life of God at the base of the hill of frankincense, to the completion of its ascent, to the summit of the mountain of Myr. Bonaventure points us to such a book in scripture, the Song of Songs. The literature of St. Teresa and St. John of the Cross would also be excellent guidebooks. But if you want to hear about these, you will have to wait until Tim Hutchinson finds a Carmelite crazy enough to agree to be on Credo. Bonaventure actually wrote a lovely short book on this called The Five Feasts of the Child Jesus. This book, I think, would be perfect reading for the Advent and Christmas seasons. But, as I said last week, the mind knowing itself and loving itself in its natural faculties represent the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. But in the mind reformed by grace, there is a real relationship with these three persons in their own special way. So St. Bonaventure says that filled with all these intellectual lights, our mind is like the house of God inhabited by divine wisdom. It is made a daughter, a spouse, and a friend of God. It is made a member, a sister, a co-heir of Christ the head. It is made the temple of the Holy Spirit, faith laying the foundation, hope building it up, 
and sanctity of soul and body, dedicating it to God. All this is accomplished by a most sincere love of Christ, which has been poured forth in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us, without whom we cannot know the mysteries of God. So, next we move to the topmost pair of wings of the seraph, contemplating God in his two highest names, being and good. We might remember from this week's weekday lectionary that uh, Moses, when he encountered God in the burning bush, God said his name was, I am who am. So we can say that God's name is being. So those who contemplate these two sublime names, being and good, are like the cherubim on top of the Ark of the Covenant, facing one another. Let us take the first cherub as our guide on the journey into the fifth wing of the seraph, God whose name is being. Now, a little mental exercise. I want you to try and imagine non-being. Imagine nothing. Okay, did you do that? Now, I am sure that when you were thinking of non-existence, all you saw was a black expanse or a white space. But a black expanse or a white space is not nothing. It's something. Not only is there no such thing as non-being, but we can only grasp the idea of non-being once we first have grasped the idea of being. We cannot apprehend anything that exists unless we first apprehend the concept of being. And yet we do not think of being itself every time we see, taste, touch, hear, smell, or think of something which has being. It is like how we see things in this world by the light and are not immediately conscious of that light. But if we were to gaze upon pure light, we would be dazzled, blinded, something to which those who drive at night time can certainly attest. Pure being is like a beggar on the doorstep of our senses. And when we go in and out of ourselves, gathering sensory information, we must first step over him, and sometimes we deliberately ignore him. But pure being, like the poor beggar on our doorstep, is God. Everything else exists and has being, but God's essence is to exist. Since he is existence and he is pure being, God is first because he has always had existence. And because he is first, he is eternal. And that means there was no one there before him 
to make him, nor anything before him for him to be made out of. He is uncreated, which means he is simple. Because he is simple, he has not come to be from anything, nor does he have to become anything, just in the same way that we have to become something, as we are always growing. So he is always actual. Because he is always actual, and he does not need to become anything, nothing can be added or subtracted from him, and so he is perfect. And because he is perfect, he is infinite. How do you put in words something so close to us and so beyond our comprehension? Bonaventure borrows a beautiful line from the theologian Alanus Abinsalus to describe the indescribable. God is an intelligible sphere whose circumference is nowhere and whose center is everywhere. God is within all things, but cannot be contained. God is outside all things, but cannot be excluded. God is above all things, but is never aloof. God is beneath all things, but is never debased. Next, we will turn to the sixth wing of the seraph, the cherub on the opposite side of the Ark of the Covenant, God whose name is good. As we saw, if God is being, that means he has always existed. It is better to exist than not to exist. The more something participates in being, the better it is. Therefore, God has always had existence if he is actual and perfect being. And so then he is better than everything. He is the best. Hence why the Lord in the gospel says, only God is good. The, the thing which we must know about goodness is, it is self-diffusive. Goodness gives of itself. Our universe, our beautiful world, is certainly a manifestation of God's goodness. That is what we learned at the beginning of our journey through creation into God. However, the universe cannot be the object of God's goodness because his goodness is limited. No. Strike that. However, the universe cannot be the object of God's goodness because the universe is limited, whereas God's love and goodness is unlimited. God's goodness has been poured out from all eternity, whereas this world was not always here and it will not always be around. For, as Bonaventure says, the diffusion which occurred in time in the creation of the world is no more than a point or a pivot in comparison with the immense sweep of the eternal goodness. So, 
If the universe is not the true object of God's diffusion of his goodness, who is that object? If God made another God equal to himself, then he would cease to be God. God cannot do this because it is a contradiction, like changing the past. This doesn't mean that God is limited. It means that God has limits, but they are ones that he has set upon himself. But what is the object of God's goodness? It cannot be this world, and it cannot be something which contradicts him. The object of God's goodness is within himself, to whom he completely diffuses his goodness and his being, and who diffuses his goodness and being back to him. Remember last week when I said that everything projects an image of itself so it can be sensed and known by others, and how God's image, which is no less than the Son of God, is projected so God can know and be known. This is also the, God, the image of the object of God's goodness. You might also remember last week when I said that our mind knows itself and loves itself, and it possesses a memory, intellect, and will, yet remains one. And how the mind is an image of the Holy Trinity who knows himself and loves himself, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are three persons in one. This is how God's goodness is self-diffusive. The persons share everything both freely and duly. They share everything except what makes them who they are, their personhood. This makes them both conform to one another and remain completely distinct. It means that they can be ordered first, second, and third persons of the Trinity, and yet not be like gold medal, silver medal, and bronze medal, but, co but completely co-equal. If I might use an image of my own, it means that they are all one immense ocean of being and goodness, because they flow into one another ceaselessly and yet never absorb one another. So, we have come to the sixth of the wings of the seraph. We've come to the heights of God's contemplation of himself. And yet God is always, always sending himself out. You might think that God is omnipresent, so in a sense he has nowhere to go. He cannot move in the same sense that we move, because move movement implies change. It implies being in time and space. But God always reaches out. I mentioned that he is the circle which, whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. And yet he always reaches out towards some kind of circumference. And we see that in the incarnation. And just something that St. Bonaventure says, for if an image is an expressed likeness, then when our mind contemplates in Christ, the son of God, who is by nature, the image of the invisible God, 
our humanity, our humanity so wonderfully exalted, so ineffably united, and when at the same time it sees united the first and the last, the highest and the lowest, the circumference and the centre, the Alpha and the Omega, the caused and the cause, the creator and the creature, the book written on the inside and on the outside, it has already reached something perfect. But who wants perfect? Perfect isn't good enough. God wants more than perfect for us. So it's time to take the leap into the darkness after a musical break, I think. Was Laudate Dominum, um, that beautiful piece by Mozart. And um, you're listening to Credo, a program that nourishes you in your Catholic faith. Uh, Niall was busy facilitating this program and he's had to go, so I'm taking over from him. And um, just in case you're wondering why you have my voice all of a sudden. And um, thank you so much, Friar Peter, for such a wonderful talk so far. We've still got more to come, but um, over to you once more. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. So, the sixth wing of the seraph is not the end of the journey. It is not an end in itself. It's not one of these journeys where the real treasure was the friends we made along the way. No, the journey is meant to bring us to the mystical experience, to follow St. Francis in his leap into the dark. I once heard a witticism that mysticism begins in a mist, is centered on I, and ends in schism. I guess when St. Francis does tell us how to behave if we ever have a very profound mystical experience in prayer. He tells us to treat it like a treasure and to act as if we have not received it. Because if we ever let on that we did receive it, it would either be robbed from us by someone else, we would be treated as being a thief with a treasure that belongs to someone else. And it does, it belongs to God. So we should try and give it back to him. Sometimes mystical experiences or profound experiences, when we explain them, when we bring these treasures out into the open, of the battle days in the confederate states of america where there were two currencies one one which was valuable and one which was valueless people hoarded up the valuable one and if they ever spent it it would become as worthless as the currency that was being used commonly with the words there is something that must be hidden about a mystery about mysticism because the words mystical and mystery both mean hidden. A mystery of religion is not something we will never fully understand simply, but it is also something which we can never stop learning about. The speculative knowledge which we flit through on the seraph's wings must lead to ecstatic knowledge. 
and our minds must be drawn into the infinite without ever fully comprehending the infinite. How can we find words just to describe such an experience? We cannot. We can only describe it in negative terms. We can better say what it is than what it is. We can better say what it is not than what it is. It can be revealed not by light, but by darkness. This can be a profoundly terrifying experience, I imagine. The fog of doubt, which surrounded St. Therese, and I think surrounds many sincere doubters who seek for something infinite, but find instead the infinite, when the encounter with everything feels like nothing. What seems like a blankness, but it is not a blankness, but a fog. I love the Latin word which Bonaventure uses, which is caligo. It's a fog which, ex which obscures all that sense could ever grasp and demands us to rely on another faculty of knowledge to grasp God. This is not our intuition, but rather contuition. That means we know God with God. In fact, it is God who does all the knowing with that tiny little bit of human knowledge which we can contribute makes it contuition, the highest form of knowing. We throw away the roadmap. The signposts of sense, imagination and reason are past. And they are now truly signs, as my friend, the linguistic student in Oxford, calls them. Because they are as meaningless and empty as the letter P is to an illiterate. The mind ceases all speculation and rests in the darkness. Who am I to describe these things? As Hopkins wrote of the mountains of the mind and their sheer cliffs of fall, those who never hung there hold them cheap. And goodness knows I have never hung there. But these mountains and sheer cliffs of fall lead us back to the mountain where we began our journey last week, the mountain of Laverna in Umbria. Here was where the inner mystical experience became outwardly invisible upon the real flesh of a real historical man. St. Francis, dismayed at how his ideal had been swamped by the sheer number of men who joined the friars and found himself losing control. And yet that was what the Lord wanted of him, to yield control. Whose order is it, Francis? asked the Lord. Yours or mine? Francis knew the answer, and so he trembled on the brink of great peace and rest as he went to Laverna for the 40-day fast before Michaelmas. Around the 17th of September, 1224, something extraordinary happened. He beheld a seraph having six wings, says St. Bonaventure, flaming and resplendent, coming down from the heights of heaven. When his flight most swift had reached the space of air near the man of God, there appeared between the wings the figure of a man crucified, having his hands and feet 
stretch forth in the shape of a cross and fasten to a cross. As we said already, this vision of the crucified had the six wings of a seraph. And he was pierced to the heart by this vision. Accordingly, as the vision disappeared, it left in his heart a wondrous glow, but on his flesh it also imprinted a no less wondrous likeness of its tokens. For there began to appear in his hands and his feet the marks of the nails, even as he had just beheld them in the figure of the crucified. For his hand, for St. Francis's own hands and feet seemed to be pierced through the midst with nails, the heads of nails showing in the palms of the hands and upper side of the feet, and their points showing the other side. The heads of the nails were round and black in the hands and feet, while the points were long, bent, and as it were, turned back, being formed of the flesh itself and protruding therefrom. The right side, moreover, as if it had been pierced by a lance, seamed with a ruddy scar, where from off times welled the sacred blood, staining his habit and breeches. End the quote from St. Bonaventure's Life of Francis. St. Francis, during this profound moment of crisis in the Franciscan order, went up the mountain asking, were the Franciscans what God wanted? And he came down bearing the answer, the seal of approval, the wounds of Christ. Bonaventure went up the same mountain with the same question and came down with the germ of this book, this wonderful book, The Mind's Journey into God. Every Franciscan asks the same question. Every man, perhaps even some men listening, who have considered or are considering to join the friars. Every woman who has wanted to respond to God, like Bonaventure's esteemed protectress, St. Clair, has asked, is the Franciscan order for real? Can anyone dare take Christ at his word and live the true gospel and yet live in this world? And every Franciscan looks at God's answer, one of the most well-attested miracles of all time, the stigmata of St. Francis, and can only understand this to be a complete yes from God. They have to respond with their own yes. They see that the axiom is God gave Francis the stigmata and they have to work out their own postulation from there. You're listening to Credo on Radio Maria, and... Um, so far, Peter, it's very sad for me to know that this is the last part of your three-part series um, that you've been giving to us 
in the Credo program. And um, is this the first time that you've you've done teaching Catholic teaching on radio? I believe it has been. Yeah. Is there so you never did this in in Ireland, did you? No, I never did. I I, I as I say, I never did. But um, I think Saint Maximilian Kolbe was a wonderful example to us all by by using the radio for evangelization. Mm. Another great member of the conventual Franciscans. Mm. Yes. Indeed. Now, you said something which I found quite interesting, and it was something which I hadn't heard before. And that's, and, and this is that the stigmata um, was a sign that the order was pleasing to God. I knew about the stigmata, but I didn't, I didn't know that that's what it was. I wonder if you would tell us a little bit more about that story but also if you could just explain what the stigmata is to someone who's hearing this word for the first time so the stigmata were the impression on the on the flesh of saint francis of the wounds of christ so it's a it's a rare occurrence in christian history uh I think the only other canonized saint who had the stigmata was Padre Pio, but there were there were, there's a number of others whom we might speculate had it. It Tell appears us. in different so it appears in different forms, as you heard Bonaventure's description. The marks the marks on Saint Francis's hands and feet actually had the nails on them, whereas when Saint Padre Pio received the stigmata. There were no nails. Okay. As regards the mystical interpretation of it, this was the first time in church history that we know of where someone received the stigmata. And so it was seen as a completely new sign. It was unprecedented. And, well, don't ask a historian of the order because they will tell you that there were precedents for the order of St. Francis but St. Francis and his way of life was actually quite original. There were certain, there were orders of penance in the Middle Ages which uh, preceded St. Francis. Mm -hmm. And there were also heretical groups which lived very impressive lives of poverty in the name of Christ, which made people doubt the Catholic Church's capacity to live for to live poverty, hmm. but Francis showed that a poor life, according to the gospel, in this radically new way, was possible, and so this radically new miracle, which God had probably never worked before on a human being, occurred towards the end of Francis's life. So it was as if it was ratifying mm -hmm. the truth of uh, Saint Francis's mission. And that's, yes, so, and that's one of the, it's one of those rare miracles which... Yeah, no, that's true. It is It is a very rare miracle and it's something that I think is, is, worth, is worth drawing attention to. Have you ever heard the theory that St. Paul may have had stigmata? I have. Uh, so it comes from the uh, last verse of the uh, epistle to the Galatians. Yeah, 
where he says he bears the marks uh, of Christ on his hands and feet. Uh, I hope St. Paul doesn't uh, think me disrespectful for being on Team Francis and insisting that uh, St. Francis was the best saint ever and got these, <laughs> and got these, the, and was first. But... Um, I think you should be more worried about what St. Francis thinks of that. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. Yes, yeah, St. Francis was, was so humble. He, he would never have wanted me to be vaunting, vaunting him like that. And of course, it's, it's all about Jesus. It wasn't St. Francis's wounds. He didn't come up with that idea. He didn't, have, yeah. he didn't yeah. get them because he was so brilliant. There, there are Lord's wounds, which, uh, which uh, he presents before his father uh, to, to, in heaven to plead for us. Indeed, indeed. But I think the marks of Christ that Paul bore, he could be talking about the all the, all the floggings that he had received, yeah. the 40 strokes, but one. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's very true. Do you think it's it's a particularly Franciscan thing? Because Padre Pio, he was also Franciscan, wasn't he? Well, he was. You he... would, wouldn't you? You would think it was a... <laughs> I mean, I... <laughs> a basic question, perhaps. I... Well, as I say, it's 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 a grace of God, and hmm. it's as I said about the treasure which we receive from God. If we don't give it back to Him, we we, we prove ourselves to be to be thieves. Hmm. So I can't steal um, the uh, I cannot steal the uh, uh, stigmata for the Franciscan Order in any way. Good. Yeah, I think that, that answers the question quite well. Thank you. Friar Peter, would you end with a prayer for us, please? And uh, just before you do, I just want to thank you so much for for coming on Credo and for giving us these these three fabulous talks. Um, and also to remind our listeners that if they want to find them, they can do so um, through the Radio Maria app, which is our Radio Maria Play and all the podcasts are available there and they're nicely categorized so you can go and you can find the credos and you can search through the last um, three credos that happened on on this day um, of the week and find uh, Friar Peter's talks on St. Bonaventure and the Unforgivable Sin, question mark. Um, and, uh, and we hope that we do have you again in the future for some more talks. But... Um, that will depend on a number of things, uh, your superiors and, and how much time you have. But end with a prayer for us, please. Certainly. So St. Bonaventure's prayer for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We beg the Almighty Father through thee, his only begotten Son, made man for our sake, crucified and glorified for us, to send upon us from his treasure house the spirit of sevenfold grace, who rested upon thee in all his fullness. Spirit of wisdom, enabling us to relish the fruit of the tree of life, which is indeed thyself, the gift of understanding to enlighten our perceptions, the gift of prudence, enabling us to follow in thy footsteps, the gift of strength to withstand our adversaries' onslaught, the gift of knowledge to distinguish good from evil by the light of thy holy teaching, the gift of piety to clothe ourselves with charity and mercy, the gift of fear to withdraw from all ill-doing and live quietly in awe of thy eternal majesty. These are the things for which we petition. Grant them for the honour of thy holy name, to which, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, be all honour and glory, thanksgiving, renown, and lordship, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.
This was a Radio Maria podcast. If you enjoyed it, do please click like and subscribe on your podcast provider or leave us a review. Every bit of feedback helps increase our visibility and allows us to reach more people with the message of Christ's saving truth. And if you don't already, you can listen to Radio Maria live either online or on DAB in selected regions of the UK. We'd love for you to call in live and be part of the conversation. See our website, radiomariaengland.uk, for more details and a full schedule of programmes. And do please consider making a donation so that we can keep making more programmes like this. We are completely dependent upon the generosity of our listeners.